We're both wearing, and this won't be, you won't be able to see this on Mustard Yellow medium, but we're both wearing the colours of the podcast. We are. Mustard Yellow. (laughs) You're wearing a Mustard Yellow t-shirt. I'm wearing a Mustard Yellow jumper. Bloody hell. I'm trying to maybe... We're on brand. We're on brand. I'm trying to manifest the sun from the clothes. You know, you wear, you are what you wear. Yeah. Although my graphics teacher at A-level told me, if you have a feeling of confidence and wanting to be seen on any one day, you end up wearing yellow. It's like a psychological thing where you're trying to be like, look at me. An attention seeker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in the bottom line, an attention seeker. Yeah, We're both attention know. seekers today. I mean, I've received hardly any attention. <laughs> so I'm desperate for it. <laughs> Explore the stories of the week with me, Jokes. And me, Eleanor. As we take a journey into the dirty and sometimes quirky world of the internet comment section. We're going from relying on professional journalists to looking at the grassroots of commentary to get an uncensored perspective on what the public really thinks. Well, hi, Eleanor. Hello. (laughs) <laughs> Long time no speak. Long time no speak. Literally a whole week. Seven yeah. days. It has been a while. New month. So, exactly. And you are back in London. I am back in the big LDN, which um, I felt cheated a bit because people... So last week when I was back in Nottinghamshire, people were going, oh, you should be in London. Like, it's amazing here. Like, it's so sunny. Everyone's out with beers and it's like summer. Everyone's having such a great time. Come back. So I come back, like, expecting, like, good weather. Everyone to be, like, in a great mood. I get back and it was, like, raining, grey. I felt like I was undersold the reality of London. And I've just been indoors in the freezing cold whilst it's been raining. Although today the sun has come out. So I, I have seen a glimmer of what people were talking about. But... On the whole, it's been rather grim. (laughs) That sounds like a classic example of the grass is greener. Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, Over the hedge. (laughs) Over the hedge. How's Mm. how's Exeter been? Good. My brain is a little bit fried because I left my window wide open yesterday and actually left it open last night. And I was convinced a living something or other had flown through the window and was rustling around in my room and it kept me awake. (laughs) Still haven't found it, but it has had an impact on my brain. So I could be quite unusual today. (laughs) But only one more night in that room. Exactly. As tomorrow you come back to LDN2. Exactly. And actually, I am someone who firmly believes you should leave your window open when you sleep for health benefits, all of it. Don't you Um, get cold? Well, that is usually the argument that people make when they don't open their window and they sleep. And I, I really could never do that. But in London, I actually was because my bedroom is in an attic in London. And it was so cold when we were in London last, that I kept the windows closed. First time I've ever done that. And they're also too small, so... Or they're, they're quite small, so things can't fly in. Okay. <laughs> which, which really does... I mean, do things generally fly in windows? I've not really heard of... I mean, they I've do. heard of insects, but not, like, big things. Well, I think also I'm quite used to strange selection of animals being in the house, because my when they were younger would catch anything and everything and bring these things in and sometimes they weren't even they were alive and well but flying around the house I remember we used to have these like windows that divided the living room to this back room in the kitchen and they didn't have glass in and like this massive pigeon flew through (laughs) into the living room and I just what is going on in this house apparently it's because the cats brought them all in apparently pigeons in the house is um bad luck Birds in the house. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Apparently, if you're superstitious, that's it. If a pigeon is in the house, that's... Bad. Yeah, I, I, think I've, I think I've got that knowledge from an episode of Outnumbered, so I'm not sure how legit that, that is. Do you, okay. Do that... you remember Outnumbered? I do. 
I do. I, I never found it that funny, if I'm honest. Really? I rather mm. liked it. I mean, I rather liked it when I was a child. I'm not sure if like, I was to watch it for the first time now. I would be yeah. overwhelmed with laughter. No. And I did, I've got to say, I was on a school trip once to somewhere called Sidmouth in Devon, and I met Hugh Dennis. Really? I was with, yeah, I was with these, well, I was with my friends and people at school, and we all bumped into Hugh Dennis, and it was just us and Hugh Dennis, and I've got loads of pictures of him, and he looked really depressed, and we're all crowding <laughs> around him. He looked so miserable, but yeah, <laughs> that's my connection. Maybe because you were all crowding around him. It really is that. He didn't want us there. He didn't want us there at all. Um, I think it's been a very heavy week on comments. I feel like everyone's been commenting about everything this week. I feel like it's been a very news-heavy week. Very, very much chatterboxing everywhere. Everyone. Okay. That's interesting. So you feel like the comment section is bursting. I feel like everyone's had an opinion about every issue this week. interesting. It has been very news heavy so it would be strange if people didn't have an opinion. True. There is a disturbing I think collective feeling at the moment especially around some stories in the UK specifically. It is a bit like there is a real fragility around our state of mind as a country right now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anything else bad can happen because I don't think we can um, take it. (laughs) I think so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We say optimistically. Well, should we delve in to the comment section? Let us delve right in. Okay, so my first comment I have found this week, I'm going to go for a Facebook comment. Mm -hmm. And um, these comments came in response to something BBC Radio 2 reposted. It's not necessarily it's to do with Radio 2, but they are in response to a Radio 2 share, put it that way. This topic was so highly contested by um, the commenters... I've never seen so many differing views on something that is rather... You wouldn't necessarily think this would attract lots of comments, but people got very, very fiery. The middle class has got very fiery about this issue. Oh, wow. Um, Wood burners. It's not wood burners, (laughs) is it? Unfortunately, not wood burners. Um, So I'm going to read you... I found so many comments. I'm going to read you some of my favourites. Okay, so Jane Collard says, this is actually a string of comments. Jane Collard says, would far rather the BBC invested in more BBC4 and also a plus one channel. BBC3 has been stealthily creeping back onto our screens over the past year. Repeats being used to fill late slots. Then James says, Jane, it's a 2021 plus one channels are a waste of money and resources. (laughs) That is very true. Ollie comments, Plus one, don't you mean I player? And then Jane comments, <laughs> Ollie, no, I don't. I am fully aware of the difference. Many other broadcasters offer a plus one option, which can be useful. Sometimes the BBC programmes can take several hours before they appear on catch up slash iPlayer. Um, what, what do you think that is referring to? Well, firstly, I just want to say there was also some plus two channels at the height of really? the plus era. Yeah. No, I don't believe there, you. There honestly was. I remember there was like Sky Two plus two, <laughs> and it all just no. Yeah, honestly, plus two hours. Plus two. Mmm. Uh, wow. Yes, but I think this is the return of BBC Three as a terrestrial channel. You are completely, completely right. It was a press release from the BBC and Radio 2 had reshared it and the Mm. anger it had got from middle-class commenters on here saying, oh, we don't need a BBC Three, the young people don't pay their licence fees. Um, Mm. This is what Peter... I'm going to read your comment from Peter Bailey on the topic. Peter Bailey, okay. Peter Bailey. Brilliant. Restore the channel for youngsters who don't pay a TV licence while cutting back on programmes for people who do. 
BBC4 is being allowed to fade away and the BBC's arts cover in general is appalling. And then Laos commented, okay, boomer, in a GIF format. So John replied to the GIF, Laos, I'm not offended by your GIF at all. I'm just saddened by the lack of ability for reasoned argument that it highlights. We live in a world where large numbers of people think posting such material is deemed an adequate response. Maybe it's a generalisation, maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe later generations have not been educated sufficiently to have the ability to articulate their thought processes in any other way. What could be more worrying is that all their thought processes can actually generate nothing. Oh my goodness. I know. This is a really good thread, but can I just say, responding to a GIF in that way is very middle-aged. very boomery. It is quite. <laughs> He's just because, proving his point. <laughs> yeah, a GIF usually is, I think, a sign a conversation has ended. Yeah. Sometimes unfairly, but it is sort of something you wouldn't respond to, especially in such depth and detail and passion. Yeah. So yes, you are completely right. Um, these All these angry comments refer to the return of BBC Three to mm. actual airwaves in... Not airwaves, television waves. Is it the same thing? Television mm. waves? Well, I was just thinking even terrestrial. Is it? It's not terrestrial, is it? No. Because terrestrial TV was switched off and yeah. replaced with digital. Do you remember the big fuss about that? Everyone went mad, didn't switched they? Switched to digital... Did they? Yeah, like lots of older people were like, oh no, I haven't got free of you. What am I going to do? And then everyone hasn't. <laughs> everyone hasn't. You sound quite gleeful. <laughs> no, no, I don't mean And then they you. weren't ready for the digital switchover. I was so excited for the day of digital. Do you remember? And like there was like a date and there kept being adverts going, are you ready for the digital switch? Mm. But people will be able to now switch. Well, in 2022, actually, January 2022, they'll be able to switch on their TV. And BBC Three will be there mm. for them to enjoy. Did Do you, you know? Oh yeah. No, sorry, go. Well, I was just going to say there's something interesting that actually they lob or the people that this the man who the guy who launched BBC Three tried a lobbied for the youth young channel to be three rather than four because he always viewed it as much easier for the BBC to get rid of BBC Four at some point in the future. Just because it is numerically easier to yeah. then just have three channels rather than having one, two, four, or having to like, it would be a lot more tricky. Yeah. That's actually a good point. Yeah. Did you, were you a big BBC Three watcher? I mean, they have had good programmes. They have. And actually, recently they've had a lot of good programmes like um, Killing Eve, RuPaul's. Drag race. Normal people. Normal people. This country that everyone Ugh. loves. I, I didn't... I wasn't in the actually a BBC Three watcher in the past, really. I remember they always like, had Family Guy repeats and, like, Sex Son and Suspicious Parents, is it? <laughs> yeah. Don't Sex Tell and, the Bride. The World's Strictest Parents. And then there's that one about people's weird eating habits. <laughs> like, it, it felt like a pound shop E4 to me. Yeah. Which is funny because BBC should have been more, it should have been the staple. Yeah. I've got to say, I've become a bit dull and I really like BBC Four. <laughs> well, actually, no, that's not right. BBC Four is good and I don't know why I'm pretending. You must be its youngest viewer. <laughs> Maybe I was part of that comment section going, how dare they do this? What about us? <laughs> what I find odd is that surely if the whole point of them bringing back BBC Three is on the basis that it's been doing so well, their programmes have been doing so well, but surely mm. they've been doing so well online. Surely mm. it suggests there's no actual need for it to be brought back if it's already been doing so well. Like, why? I myself wouldn't ever think to watch a BBC Three programme in real time. Maybe mm. that's just me, but I wouldn't think, oh, it's 8pm, I'm going to switch on, I don't know, normal people. Watching live TV. Yeah, I've just... Do you ever watch live TV? Hard. Well, with my parents, but again, that's a generational thing, not because I've chosen, but because mm. they do watch live TV. But I am not... I I mean, I don't have a TV that has live TV. Mm. I mean, do you? Like, in your own... In We in... actually don't in the house. We just have, like, a, a fire TV stick. You know, the things you plug in, the little things yeah. to make it smart. We just have that, and it's just, like, the... You and I play a live tv -er? Um, For TV licence purposes, wink, wink. Um, 
<laughs> I <laughs> definitely dream is about what happens if you don't pay that. <laughs> I definitely don't watch any live TV ever in this household. So okay, you. Okay. <laughs> I'm really you're, worried. You're I'm recreating get... <laughs> the the horror that a lot of people experience on the digital day for yourself. Yes, yes. Um, I'm really worried someone will turn up now with a knock on the door. So you haven't paid your TV licence. But I, I mean, I don't watch live TV, so... Anyway. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> moving so on. So that was the comment on the comments that were generated regarding the return to BBC that 3 to our airwaves. Okay, so this is Twitter. Okay. And these were a series of photographs posted to it to Twitter that went viral. And this is one of the responses from Wendy M. Not to mention that I'm pretty sure those railings are there to stop twants bumping into passers-by. Next, you'll be telling us he's taken up parkour. Oh. Actually, funnily enough, do you, you know parkour, the sort of... Free movement. You, yeah. Yeah. This person has spelt it... Well, Wendy M has spelt it parkour. <laughs> and someone... Ian Green actually corrects uh, and says parkour. <laughs> Ian Green knows his stuff. <laughs> yeah. I... I don't know. Can you read it once more for me? Not to mention that I'm pretty sure those railings are there to stop twants bumping into passers-by. Next, you'll be telling us he's taken up parkour. Hmm. And it's in response to a picture. Three photographs, yeah. Nothing is springing to mind at all. Um... So it's something that happened in a park. Something that happened in the park. I don't know. I think you're going to have to tell me on this. I really have no clue. So this is Matt Hancock leaping around in the park. (laughs) And there's one where he's doing a press-up and looks a bit like a spider. There's one where he (laughs) is running and leaps over a fence and basically continues to run. And he's just leaping around doing all these acrobatic things and smiling. And he's and he's doing it with the knowledge he's also being photographed. So he's making the job of the photographer really easy <laughs> because he's being really weird and just doing all this stuff in front of the camera. I've completely so, yeah. missed this story. This is amazing. I'm gonna can I Google the photos now? Go for it. He seems quite normal because he's surrounded by a lot of caricatures, like big time, big time caricatures. He's a little time caricature. That fence jump is quite impressive. I mean, he must be quite athletic. Well, I think he's probably, I think he probably views himself as quite athletic because some may say he's trying to show off. It sort of reminds me, some may say that, he reminds me of like a child at school who is showing off. Yeah. I think he... Speed. Yeah, I don't think he has too much um, social awareness. And Um, actually there is quite what, and I know that this is not a comedic issue, but I think this whole context, the way that the mirror has painted it is quite funny. Matt Hancock spotted, so they say Matt Hancock spotted frolicking in a park amidst the NHS pay fury. (laughs) So they've got like a story about the fury around the 1% pay rise for NHS staff and then just him leaping over the fence. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought frolicking was a word associated with like, I don't know, like sexual activity or like, I don't know. Maybe I've completely misinterpreted the word frolicking, like um, no, fraternising yeah. or... I thought frolicking was like a word you and you're like heavy petting. You're right. You are actually right. If you frolic with someone, you are being flirtatious in a sexual... Or somehow sexually manoeuvring yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's so 
functional, probably something Matt Hancock would say. I'm sexually manoeuvring myself, but he—he <laughs> he would phrase got, it like that. <laughs> he really would, wouldn't he? And I think he there was that whole thing with Kay Burley where he was talking about who can do what, and he—I think he is like a schoolboy. Yeah, he's a bit like he reminds me of. This is going to show my ignorance because I can't remember his name, but in Blackadder, Hugh Laurie's character. Yes, yes. I always a... used to think that. Yeah, he's like kind of a... He reminds me a bit of a puppy, but like a quite a clever puppy. Mm. Um, And I don't want... Like, puppy is actually probably not the right word to use because everyone likes puppies and you think they're inherently good, right? And that's not what Matt Hancock necessarily is. Mm. Um, but his mannerisms come over that way. Yeah. Yeah, he always sort of seems on the verge of tears. Yes. I... Do you remember that funny... Um, I'm not sure if it was... I'm not sure if funny is the right word, but that very strange Good Morning Britain interview where oh, we, yeah. they found the vaccine. It was like, we'd yeah. just announced the vaccine and he like sort of cried, but it didn't look genuine. <laughs> no, it was a bit unusual, wasn't it? He was sort of rubbing his eyes and I think Piers Morgan were like, are, are you okay there? And he was like, oh, just a bit. Yeah, it, it is. It was it, odd. It, it wasn't, yeah. it was neither genuine nor necessarily very disingenuine it's just odd i think that's how you characterize yeah. matt odd matt you would and actually i think as well with that that video that's gone viral and become a meme where he's walking towards the camera yeah that's how will he how will he go down in history because it he, how do people of that variant of weird go down <laughs> in history because he is sort of a I don't know, just there's not much to his weirdness which makes it even more weird. He's yeah. subtly weird. Subtly weird. <laughs> okay. okay, what's your next one then? So, my next comment is... Let's go for a newspaper comment. So, I'm going to replace... There's names in this which will give it away straight away. So I'm going to replace the names um, or what it's referring to with X, Y, and Z. Okay. Okay. So someone, a commenter who just goes by the name BC, maybe that's before Corona or before Christ, mm. who knows? Mm. Um, BC says, petulant children behave better than these two have ever been. X has, has it all, X had it all handed to him on a plate if he had mm. been born in Hull to any other member of the Y family. He would be a better man than the silver spoon nobody he is today. Z is just a wrecker of families. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hello, I just wanted to interrupt your listening here just to let you know that Joyce and I recorded this on the Saturday before the Oprah Winfrey and Meghan Markle and Prince Harry interview came out. So this is, I think, the story that I view as symbolic of a collective, let's say, and maybe not entirely PC, description of the state of the country as a collective breakdown. Yes. Because this is really weird, disturbing. It also feels like it's reaching, reaching some kind of sort of dangerous fever pitch, I think. Yeah. But is this Harry and Meghan's upcoming interview? Yes, this is Harry. This is to do with Harry and Meghan, um, and I mean, I could have picked any article from the from mm. the newspaper I picked it from, um, because there's a million and twenty, a million, oh, thousands and thousands of articles. A million and twenty. A million twenty. I don't know why that <laughs> that figure popped into my head. But there are lots and lots and lots. <laughs> there is a vast amount of articles on Meghan Markle and Harry, Prince Harry, this week. To mm. a, yeah, as you say, worrying level. Like, the press are absolutely obsessed. Amongst everything that's going on, it's really odd to see that come up as first on the news. Like, oh, this many people have died, or we're rolling out a vaccine, or nurses' pay is being cut. And yet, this is top item on the news like if, I find it really bizarre and jarring actually I really dislike it it makes me very angry it is a multifaceted one to an extent but there has always been among I think certain individuals a suspicion 
of Meghan Markle. Yeah. And I do wonder where this is actually going to end in terms of, like, the coverage of it. Because is that what you sort of view as well? Because actually, I think it is quite disturbing how it is getting more and more and more intense and, and, and targeted. And now there's, like, there was a poll released by a radio station I saw on Twitter about whether to remove their citizenship from the UK. And and it, and people are laughing, like, this is ludicrous, this is so silly. But we've seen in recent years so many examples of that where a ludicrous suggestion is put onto the agenda. And before you know it, it's starting to be talked about thrown around more seriously, it becomes more and more serious until actually it becomes a, a real debate with potential material outcomes. So... Yeah, I actually think it could be quite worrying, but but there's no conclusion to it, is there? That I think there's probably maybe this interview will show there's more context to be discussed around maybe what's going on, because a lot is open to interpretation, which probably leads to more emotion being kind of injected into this discussion, because it is ludicrous. It reminds me of like the late stages of Brexit where people on either side had sort of started to completely lose touch with what was actually really Yeah, lose discussed. touch with reality. Mm. And also, what really annoys me is it's framed as one side of the argument's right and one side of the argument's wrong. So either mm. Meghan's right and the good guy and the royal family are the bad guy and are mm. wrong, or vice versa, the royal family are right and the good guys and Meghan Markle's wrong and the bad guy, when, in fact, it, I feel like it's way more nuanced than that, and it can just be that both of them are not great. It, ca- it mm. can be that none of them are winners. And there's actually a, re- a really good article in The um, in the Guardian by Catherine Bennett called In the Battle of Meghan versus the Firm, Who Do We Cheer On? How About Neither? And I think that is actually mm. a really good article. Mm. Um, yeah, discussing how... We shouldn't be pitting. There isn't a right or a wrong here. Both of them, there's shades of grey. Both of them have. Maybe mm. it's okay that both of them are quite flawed institutions. Well, not okay, but maybe that's the matter of fact here. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and actually, I think the umbrella to that is the fact we're all basically. I don't know the whole setup now of Harry and Meghan and what will go forward with it, but we as taxpayers are actually funding this craziness. Okay, so this is a Facebook comment. So it's a Facebook comment to a trailer that was uploaded this week. And this comment's from Ford Boyd. And this is what it says. It's also created a huge thread of responses and I don't know if we can really go into that because it's very heavy but it's certainly a debate anyway so Ford Boyd says I was a commercial fisherman for many years but I agree commercial fishing needs to end do I support a vegan lifestyle yes that is your choice but not mine do I agree that if I want to catch a fish to eat that is my choice oh Back to the issue. Exploitation of any slash all species in the world for profit needs to stop. But remember, vegan or not, the microplastic from your tyres every time you move your vehicle is highly toxic to fish. And no matter where you live, eventually everything ends up in the ocean. All the bleach and cleaners, the preservatives used in asphalt, shingles, etc. Eventually, it all ends up in the ocean. Um, I, again, I'm really not doing well on this today. I'm thinking it might be something to do with veganism, but I can't remember a story this week to do with veganism. Or fishing rights. Maybe it's to do with fishing rights. Something to do with the EU. Um, but again, I haven't, I haven't read anything on that this week. Hmm. Can you give me a clue? So it's a trailer. A trailer. So it's a film, a documentary film that has released its trailer. It was it was fairly high profile on the inter- 
internet. But, um, yeah. I think I'm going to have to pass on this one as well. Oh my gosh, I'm doing terribly today. I'm going to definitely lose the battle of the guessing of the comments. (laughs) We will add it up at some point. (laughs) Something will happen (laughs) when when we find out the result. So this was, because it does feel like a reverse in fortunes. I think last the last two, I probably was the struggling party. So this is the release of the trailer to Sea Spiracy, the um, follow-up, even though it's... Or, I mean, it is just the next film made by the makers of Cowspiracy. Oh, mm. oh, that is interesting. And did it has, it has it gone viral this week? They released the trailer this week, and okay. it has been all around. Well, it has been quite prominent, but I know it is probably more of a tricky one. It is made by Netflix this time. Interesting. Okay. So they've got the funding. They've got a great poster. Gotta say. And Cowspiracy that is on Netflix, right? Yes. But it's not made by Netflix. No. So no. presumably a big budget this time. I assume it is a bigger, it's a larger budget. And I did watch the trailer and quite, because I actually only watched Conspiracy the other week for the first time. And I know most people have seen it. He started getting into a situation that was quite dangerous where they where someone cut their funding for the project. They started to kind of find themselves probably... Up, among quite powerful forces mm-hmm. regarding what they're investigating. It looks like they're in actually a lot of danger at points in Seaspiracy in terms of their safety, their personal safety. Really? Yeah, so... In what respect? Well, so I think it's similar to the thing they were looking at in Cowspiracy, for instance, in Brazil, where activists were being killed for coming up against... I think it were was developers of cattle grazing land in the Amazon, maybe, or something. And it sounds like a similar situation where they're unveiling all this stuff. But it is like, I don't know if you saw Cowspiracy, did you see it? I did. I saw it when it first uh, came out ages ago. Uh, so it's been a while. Okay, so I'm probably more fresh in the Cowspiracy department. But I was really surprised by the the lack of investment or focus from environmental groups on this issue that seems to be seismic and actually more of a um, concern, actually, when you look at all the data and stuff, than fossil fuel, like direct fossil fuel yeah. emissions. And I think they were concerned that they would upset their paying membership, for instance, Greenpeace where it it was all made out that they would be concerned of frightening or upsetting members or trying to sell a message that was too complex. And it was so shocking and surprising. Uh, It's quite interesting as well, because on their websites, they have updated the information. It is slightly more available, I assume, maybe because of the film. And this new film, it focuses on, I'm guessing, fish and seas. (laughs) I'm guessing from Mm. seas. Seaspiracy. Um, so they're taking their aim at overfishing. Yeah. Okay. And kind of, yeah, dismantling of the ocean. It's interesting that Netflix have funded it and are. I, I do think there are problems with Netflix, ethical question, issues with Netflix, but they do fund and push. Who knows? This could be just the algorithm. I might see it. Others might not. Of documentaries that really do bring quite powerful forces to task. I think I think you're right. And I think that is testament to the budget they have. And mm. how highly produced their documentaries are. Mm. Um, but yeah, I agree. They are investing in their documentary... Body arm, that's the word. Arm. Mm. Um, I wonder where it will go, is the thing. Do you think, and do you think it will have an impact on documentaries made by places with smaller budgets, let's say BBC documentaries or like Sky Arts, docu- not Sky Arts, Sky, mm. Sky Documentaries, 
will they start seeing their you know ability to produce as well well produced stories impacted well it does i i i oh god i was actually in a conversation with someone who was talking about this the other day it I think some people seem to have different opinions on this. Some people think it is actually just boosting the industry generally. Mm-hmm. But I think others are concerned about its impact on the future of tradition, more traditional broadcasters <clears throat> and their ability to attract or attract talent, maybe. Yeah. It's not quite clear. I, I kind of... I think there is, I think the doomsayers around especially the future of the BBC, especially for the next decade or so, are kind of overdoing it to an extent. I think there's this idea that the current government in the UK are hell-bent on dismantling the BBC and they're going to appoint all these people that kind of want to wreck it from the inside out. But then you look at the actual appointments of the chief executive, the chairman and all these things, or the chairperson, or maybe they'd still call that role the chairman who knows um but they've actually appointed quite banal establishment in terms of bbc practice reefian figures yeah and it has made me think that it might be over exaggerated a bit but i think there is also a truth the bbc is increasingly restricted i think by government pressuring on their finances and for instance like what george osborne did like made them pay for the free TV licences for over 75s. Like just kind of different ways of kind of restricting them. And I think, how can you go up against something like Netflix when you are being hobbled by something like the BBC? I think the BBC... I mean, the government, sorry. I think the BBC's main strength is the talent it has within it, rather than Mm. the money. In terms of, I think, I went to a talk once where the... A woman said that, like, the crown cost 100 million to one season of the crown cost. I mean, don't quote me on this, I think something like 100 million um, mm. to make. And the BBC, then she put up a list of all the programs that the BBC could make for 100 million. And they could produce, like, so many series, like, two whole pages worth of series for 100 million. So the value mm. for money of the BBC is amazing. And I think still the brand attracts talent that I think people are willing to forfeit going to maybe somewhere like Netflix to put their name to the BBC I still think it has a a reputation and a heavy weight of brand that Mm. carries weight yeah yeah that's true there is an institutional quality about it that I think drives people to it but that's not to say in 10 years time that institutional brand could you know uh, wear down and, you know, as Netflix builds up a repertoire or Amazon Pictures, what's it called? Amazon Productions? Amazon Studios, that's it. Yeah, Builds up yeah. a reputation that, uh, that it could diminish. But at the moment, I still think the... Could they not coexist, though? I mean, they I could coexist, they... but it's hard yeah. when you're the... when you've not got as much money. Hmm which the BBC just don't. They don't have the same budgets as these powerhouses. Yeah, I almost think, though, also the constant debate over the licence fee doesn't help this. I mean, is there not an argument to um, scrap the licence fee and make the BBC into, like, a mutual and, like, give them a bursary kind of thing? Like, a, I, I don't know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm using the right terms, but, like... The, B- the government would promise a certain amount of money to it mm-hmm. every year and there'd be like a constitution of what needs to be done with that money and then you kind of remove this existential argument about whether it should or shouldn't exist. Yeah. I think there is probably kind of an argument to get rid of the t- TV licence payment system and replace it with something more sustainable like that rather than us constantly being like should that be the BBC but because then it would be almost to an extent depoliticised in yeah. terms of its existence kind of maybe that that's a similar argument a similar one of many arguments of getting rid of tuition fees rather than having it framed in this way of debt 
you could frame it in the way of a graduate tax or make it again like more of a if less explicitly direct funding model yeah no i think there's definitely scope for that and if we were on the media department for media and culture and sport select committees (laughs) i'd definitely be backing us as proponents but we're not (laughs) maybe one day maybe one One day day. we'll be called to the select committee (laughs) yeah we will suddenly for some reason be really important and high up in that department also i've got to say we're both wearing and this won't be you won't be able to see this on mustard yellow medium but we're both wearing the colors of the podcast we are mustard yellow you're wearing a mustard yellow t-shirt i'm wearing a mustard yellow jumper I'm trying to maybe we're on brand. We're on brand. I'm trying to manifest the sun from the clothes. You know, you wear, you are what you wear. Yeah. Although my graphics teacher at A level told me, if you have a feeling of confidence and wanting to be seen on any one day, you end up wearing yellow. It's like a psychological thing where you're trying to be like, look at me, an attention seeker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the bottom line an attention seeker yeah we're both yeah, attention so. seekers today i mean i've received hardly any attention <laughs> <laughs> so i'm desperate for it it's my go um and so it's my last one and it this comes from twitter and the comment comes from a Twitter handle that is at the fish god. Mm. Very fishy theme today. That's a running theme, yeah. Fish. Um, and the fish god has replied to the shared article. If they've spent that much on tarting up number nine as a COVID media centre, you'd think they'd have included a side slide clicker for Chris... So this is the money that's being spent on a new briefing room, isn't it, in in Downing Street? Yes. So this comment actually came in response to uh, a Guardian article by uh, Marina Hyde. Oh. Um, And she was basically talking about um, the 1%, uh, the appalling 1% pay rise for nurses... Um, and how Downing Street is getting a, a new press briefing centre and also, allegedly, uh, Carrie Simmons is trying yeah. to do up uh, number 10, number 11. Number 10 or number 11, flat, um, because... I think their flat is in number 11, isn't it? It's above. So, yeah, I did look into this and, yeah, m- you can choose. You can choose whether to live in number 11 or number 10 and then the Chancellor then takes the other flat. Oh, I, th- I thought you couldn't live in number 10. I thought that was just offices and the flat was always above 11. That was my impression. I thought I thought the flat in number 10 is just so small that you wouldn't choose to live there. Mm. I think. Um, but apparently, Carrie, they've, they've said um, that it wouldn't it wouldn't be ethical to use like taxpayer money. So they're trying to set up like a charitable foundation. The only way they can raise money for this sort of renovation of number 10 or the number 11 flat is um, via setting up a charitable foundation whereby conservatives would sort of like donate money and like buy, like White House style, like buy, let's say a bureau to put in the flat and they would own the bureau. They would have donated the bureau and it becomes some sort of like charitable donation centre. It's very bizarre, is, but that's the way they're trying to get around not using taxpayers' money. Is this the big society in action? This is <laughs> David Cameron's big society. Via conservative. Yeah. <laughs> wealthy conservative peers. Yeah. See, I also, I've got to say, and I don't know if like the spouse of the Prime Minister always gets to decide the design. Because weirdly, and I think this is kind of, again, quite telling, but I was reading an article about the different designs, well, basically, of the past three Prime Ministers since 2010. And it was saying Samantha Cameron's 
Theresa May's and now Carrie. I mean, wouldn't Philip May have been the decider of the design? <laughs> I've got to say, whoever it was, whether it was Philip May, whether it was actually Philip May, and that is quite sexist to assume it is always the woman choosing the design of the flat. But who, whichever May did it, it was so frumpy. Was it? I've got to say, I don't quite know what Carrie has in mind. Maybe they were in number 10. Maybe. But it was criticised as looking too John Lewis. But I looked at it and thought, whoa, John Lewis is much more contemporary than that. (laughs) John Lewis had gone back to the 60s. Yeah, maybe. But I've got to say, my favourite design, and this didn't surprise me at all. Sam Cam. It was Sam Cam. But it didn't surprise me. They spent a lot of money. They spent like £100,000 of their own money. Right. I know, because they'd like moved from a Notting Hill house Mm. to then the untouched... Need, in need of renovation. Apparently, uh, a politics... Notting Hill set. <laughs> the uh, politics professor, I think, once told us that they need to desperately re-renovate number 10, but they need to, like, have no one living there at the time. They need to relocate the incumbent at the time out of number 10 on number 11 so they can do these proper renovation works because it's not been touched since, like, the 20th century. Right. And... The problem is, is that no incumbent is ever willing to give up, like, the fame or, like, the glamour and the social attachment to number 10 and number 11 that comes with being Prime Minister. So right. no one's ever willing to vacate the the premises for long enough for them to renovate it. So it's desperately in need of, like, uh, you know, large-scale digging out of the flat. Interesting. What a unique problem. I mean, if you win, like, a second term by a big majority, that's the time to vacate for a year, at least. Yeah. Yes, David Cameron should have done that. But then I guess he had... didn't have time. No. No, he definitely... (laughs) No. (laughs) Didn't end well for him, did it? Okay. Okay. Well, there we go. That's all the comments, I think, isn't it? That is all the comments. We have been through them all in this commenty week. Very commenty. It really is. And I want to bring us on to a new section called Chat in the Laundrette. <laughs> and essentially, this section is a quick little thing where we just mention who out of the stories that we have been talking about we would most want to have a chat with in the laundrette while we're waiting for the clothes to spin around and (laughs) clean themselves (laughs) so Eleanor just quickly also explain why laundrette so the laundrette our cover yes so the laundrette features our cover photo and um we picked the laundrette because I don't have a dryer in the flat I live in here in London um, so I have had to start going to the laundrette which was a new experience for me and I'd never been to a laundrette before and I rather enjoyed the experience because it was a sort of communal communal space for the women of Hackney to have a natter and they were talking about all sorts of things and I kind of found it fascinating that this is where conversations happened and I, I relayed I mean, there was a talk about vaccines once and I relayed the story to Jose in uh, quite an animated way and and we took it. We took the idea of comment people from there. So yes, who we'd have a conversation with in the laundrette. You go first. There's such a beautiful mythology to comment people. You <laughs> it brilliantly. I think I would... Um... Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I just... We've just edited out about five yeah. minutes of Joe's just sat there, yeah. pregnant, pausing. Um... <laughs> I think I would want to speak to Carrie, and I would want to be understanding this whole sort of crowdfunding attempt at decorating the. F- number 11 slash 10 flat and I would also want to know what she's thinking of picking 
what her interior design mm. decors are. Actually, I think, I mean, it doesn't come from a reputable source. I'm not so, maybe I'll be employed by them one day and I take it back. But the Daily Mail um, did run an article and they say that her design choice is actually going to be, here we go. Uh, design inspired by interior eco interior designer Lulu Little, oh. which is the sort of uh, tapestry type interior eco. design. Eco, yeah, eco interior designer. So I mean, she is a self confessed environmentalist. environmentalist. Yes, and she has been said to be the reason behind the Conservatives or Mr Johnson's sort of you know inclusion of at least some environmental mm. issues on his agenda quite surprising that it was completely absent from rishi sunak's budget but there we go maybe that does show carrie's influence to an extent on johnson's thinking or maybe johnson genuinely is concerned we will never know unless I manage to have a conversation with her at the laundrette. So that is more what I would ask her about. Who would you want to speak to? I would want to speak to in the laundrette. Oprah Winfrey. I'd get Oprah down to Hackney, Hackney laundrette and we'd have a right old chinwag about what she really thinks about Meghan Markle and the whole situation and whether she too thinks the whole thing is just an over-dramatisation. Yeah, I'd have a chinwag with Oprah. I think she'd be good for a chinwag. She would. She really would. I imagine imagine she'd like not be not be snobby either. I imagine she'd quite like a laundrette. Not like, but not like, like's the wrong word, but you know. And things would probably snowball and you'd suddenly find yourself at a sort of book club situation and there'd be wine flowing and and then the night snowballs. A night with Oprah would be a night where you'd probably wake up and think, whoa. Whoa, I just had a night with (laughs) Oprah. (laughs) An intellectual night, I should say. Definitely. Anyway, Anyway, good night. Good night. Thanks for joining us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at commentpeople underscore. Please give us a follow. Yeah, and we hope you're enjoying the ever-progressing Comment People podcast. Bye. (laughs) Bye.